wine in Bordeaux, wine in South Africa, even wine in Canada. This week, we're drinking wine from all over the world. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. And this week, it's all about wine. Italian wine, French wine, New Zealand wine. We sip and savor wine from every corner of the globe on this week's episode of Destination Eat Drink. But first, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, and I know that we've got a lot of new listeners to the podcast in the last couple of weeks, please subscribe if you would. I always say that we're on all the podcast platforms, but I just found out that we weren't on iHeartRadio for the first 90-some episodes of the podcast, but that's been rectified, so we are on iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast delivery services, I think. So subscribe at your favorite uh, podcast platform and get Destination Eat Drink each week when we drop a new episode. First up this week, as we talk about wine, it's Kathy McCabe. Kathy has a wonderful show on PBS called Dream of Italy, and she was one of the first guests I ever had on the program. And her acceptance really helped jumpstart the podcast. But, you know, I'll tell you right here, um, in the infancy of the podcast, maybe my technical skill at recording, I was still learning stuff about how to do this on podcasts. So maybe technically not the greatest sounding interview, but what Kathy has to say is super interesting. We talked about the Amalfi Coast and while Amalfi is probably better known for Lemoncello, there's also some great wine produced on the Amalfi Coast as well. There's, um, we did a story on Tenuta San Francesco uh, winery in Tremonti, and it's one of the only uh, vineyards that wasn't wiped out in the 18th, 19th, 18th or 19th century uh, with phylloxera. So they actually, because of the volcanic, volcanic soil, it was 19th century, the volcanic soil protected the vines, so you're actually having this really kind of rare wine experience. These are um, these are original vines because a lot of people don't know that uh, the vines were wiped out in all of Europe from this disease and the wine the wine that you're drinking now is actually grafted root from probably North American stock. I know, can you believe it? It's crazy. Yeah. If you go to this vineyard in particular, you can have that experience, which is really unique. Um this this Fall when I was on the Amalfi Coast, I was in Positano and also in Conca de Marini, which I'll tell you about in a second. And I met a woman who runs a company called Swirl the Glass, and they're they do a lot of wine tours. So there's a lot of vineyards in here. And then my ancestral hometowns probably maybe an hour and a half, all in Irpina, in Avellino. This is a really, really important and up and coming wine area. So you can even get off the coast. And go in there. My friend Gaetano runs a company called the Wine Bus. Um, so he takes people. Uh, I think there's a lot more to the Amalfi Coast than people think. I've talked about my love for New Zealand on the podcast and New Zealand wine as well. And in an early episode of the show, I talked about Auckland, New Zealand. And I can't think of a place with more stunning scenery than Waiheke Island, 
just a quick ferry ride from Auckland. And the wines, well, they're world-class too. So here's me talking about wine and Waiheke Island. New Zealand is a tiny, tiny player on the world wine stage. Even Russia and Romania, not exactly hotbeds of wine production, make more wine than the Kiwis do. But Auckland has a secret weapon, Waiheke Island. They make a minuscule percentage of wine even in New Zealand's small production, but they have jaw-dropping scenery and they make excellent wines too, which is why Waiheke Island is a must-visit when you're in Auckland, New Zealand. You hop on a ferry in Auckland and you're stepping off on Waiheke Island in a little over a half an hour. Now, when I say New Zealand wines, you probably first think of Sauvignon Blanc. And Sauvignon Blanc is grown on Waiheke, but because of this little winery called Kennedy Point Vineyard, Syrah is becoming a dominant varietal. Their Syrah at Kennedy Point won a gold medal and trophy at the 2007 International Wine Challenge, which is an amazing feat for an unknown winery from an obscure region. But Kennedy Point is now very popular. They make wonderful Syrahs. Their Pinot Noir is also excellent. And it's my favorite place to visit on Waiheke Island because of not only the wines, they also make olive oil from their own olive trees, and they have an avocado oil too. But my favorite reason to visit there is the scenery. It's breathtaking. You go up to the winery, and you have a view looking down over Kennedy Bay. It's spectacular, and the folks at Kennedy Point know it, so they put picnic tables out there. You can bring your own picnic, or you can buy food from them and enjoy the day at Kennedy Point Winery. It's quite the place to be. There's also some better-known wineries on the island, including uh, Batch Winery, which is a nice place to grab lunch. They have a great view there. And Man of War, which might be the most popular winery on Waiheke Island. Also, you want to, when you're there, take a tour of the wineries. Um, you might be tempted to say, oh, I'm going to just uh, grab a bicycle and bike to the wineries. This is a good idea in places like uh, Napa and maybe in the south of France where the terrain is flat. Waiheke Island's terrain is not flat. <laughs> it's very hilly. Trust me, you get a bicycle, you're going to be huffing and puffing after the first vineyard. You have a couple glasses of wine, it's going to be even worse. This will turn a wonderful day into a miserable, sweaty one. So the thing to do is to take a wine tour. And the best one on Waiheke Island is Waitiki Tours. Natalie Patterson will pick you up right at the ferry terminal and shuttle you to several different wineries. And best of all, she'll take you to some of the best lookout spots and most beautiful locations around the island. We went on the tour with Natalie. She brings her dog Shanty with her, and it was so much fun. She knows wineries like the back of her hand, knows all the best places to go, and knows everyone who's producing wine on the island. So when you go to Waiheke, go to Waitiki Tours, and you'll really get to enjoy it and not have to worry about A, driving, B, biking, or where all the best spots are. Michaela Malazzi is the producer, creator, and host of the fantastic TV show Bare Feet 
on PBS. It's a show about dance and travel, but Michaela's also a foodie, and we talked about her trip to Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, not the state, and the winemaking tradition there that goes back thousands of years. Yeah, so the Republic of Georgia, or even Sakartvelo is what they call themselves, and most of the world calls it Sakartvelo. They're trying to change their name. Um, But Georgia, like you said, has this old tradition of winemaking. And again, it ties into every aspect of the culture. So we were lucky to meet with Iago. Iago um, is, he has a, a company called Iago's Wine. And he started making wine from the tradition of his parents, his grandparents. It's a passed down tradition. He goes, and in our interview with him, he says, I'm not, I was never trained professionally. This is what our family does. And the tradition of wine, of course, goes back 8,000 years, but it is of a tradition of the guest. You're making wines so that if a guest comes to visit, you have the wine to share with them. And we, we, he shows us his cuevri. That's what you were talking about, that the giant sort of uh, wine casket. It's like a clay, I mean, a, a person can fit in it. He jumped in one and started cleaning us to show, or cleaning it to show us the depth yeah, of it underground. It's massive. It's massive. And um, I think he says it held like 2,000 liters of, of wine. Um, it's massive, massive. And it's, that I love the tradition of the wine so much so that wine is such a part of the culture. They have a thing called a tamada. Now a tamada is a professional toastmaster. It's either someone who's up, that's their profession, or if you're having a dinner, there's always one person who is then assigned to be the tamada for the evening. So you're not just drinking wine, you know, they actually have a pretty low rate of alcoholism considering how much wine they consume. Um, it's really, you ha- say a toast for every time you drink from your wine glass, there's a toast to be said, right? Whether that's for the family, to be grateful for what's happening. The tamada will talk about every single person sitting at the table and do this toast. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long evening of this beautiful meal that you share together, but you are, and singing, they have the polyphonic singing that comes through. So the wine is just one aspect of this whole process that really ties everything together. And it's beautiful. It's, it's natural wine. It's like naturally filtered wine. So the sediment comes down and it's this amber color wine. Uh, it, it is, I, I, I really do enjoy wines, but I don't like strong wines. And this is a very, um, it's like a tasty, I'm not a, I'm not a, a sommelier at all. So, <laughs> but it is, it is an easy wine to drink and it's delicious and it's bright and um, just the tradition of the singing around the wine, the tamada, you have to go, Brent. I mean, you would just fall in love. It There's so like much wine. There's so tradition. much wine. <laughs> so much wine. I just love talking to Mikkel. I've got to have her on the podcast again when uh, she's got some new shows coming out. And, you know, I first got the bug about Georgian wines Back when we visited Bordeaux, France, they had an exhibit on Georgian wines in the wine museum there. And here's me on a podcast episode about Bordeaux, France, one of the top wine producing regions in the world, and talking about all the ways to experience wine culture in Bordeaux. 
Bordeaux could be the most famous wine region in the whole world, and the city does a great job of promoting their wine industry. One great place to learn about wine in Bordeaux is La Cité du Vin, the Wine Education Research Center and Museum opened in 2016, and the building has a unique architecture. It's supposed to look like wine swirling in a glass. Some locals have compared the structure to feces, but I think it's really a very cool and sophisticated and modern-looking building. If you go inside, there's several floors of exhibits, including interactive screens with information about wine regions, not only near Bordeaux, but all over the world. And there's also fragrance stations where you can stop and smell and compare the different olfactory notes present in wine. But my favorite exhibit in the entire museum is the holographic dinner party. They have holograms of dinner guests having conversations about wine and other topics. Some conversations are friendly, some get a little bit heated, and you can walk through the dining room and eavesdrop on the guests while they have their conversations and enjoy their meal. The great thing about Bordeaux is all the wine bars throughout the city. They're stocked with wines from the region, and many are surprisingly affordable. We were exhausted after a transatlantic red-eye to London and then a connection to Bordeaux, but Karen and I were delighted when we stumbled upon Little Vinzer Baines. It's a narrow little bar with a dining area in the back, and we sat down and waited for an English-speaking server to be found. Vinzer Baines had one, and we had a wonderful time. Now, the thing about Vinzer Baines is, like many places in Bordeaux, they're required to sell food with their drinks. This isn't a problem. They have a great selection of platters served on wooden paddles. We opted for some crostini with a truffle puree, the perfect remedy for jet lag. Or you can give a try to Le Bar à Vin. They have an extensive wine list with generous 5-ounce pours, ranging between 2 and 8 euros per glass. A bargain, even if the wine was mediocre, but they have a great wine list and feature wineries like Chateau Franc Main. So the value here is extraordinary. The Tourism Bureau in Bordeaux does a great job promoting the wine industry, and they've even come up with a downloadable map of all the wine bars in the city. I've posted a link to it in the show notes and on DestinationEatDrink.com. Getting out of the city and visiting some chateaus is a great way to spend a day. There's tons of options for your wine tours. You can do a private wine tour. You can do a bus coach that seats 50 thirsty tourists traveling between chateaus. You could also rent a car. That's an option. But of course, remember, you've got to have a designated driver. Drinking and driving is always a bad idea. And the legal penalties in France for doing so are severe. Many of the chateaus in Bordeaux are available for visiting, but only by appointment. And one of these is maybe the world's most famous winery, Chateau Mouton Rothschild. You can email them to request a visit, and it's well worth it because their wines are some of the most expensive in the world, starting at $500 and going up to thousands and thousands of dollars. So a tasting at Chateau Mouton Rothschild is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Not only are the wines highly sought after, but 
Even the labels are collectible. Each year, they have an artist design the labels for Chateau Mouton Rothschild. In 1973, Pablo Picasso designed a label for the winery. The wine region of Bordeaux is divided into two areas, the left bank and the right bank. Now, the wines in Bordeaux are blends, but as a general rule, on the left bank, they're predominantly Cabernet Sauvignon. On the right bank, they're mostly Merlot. And Chateau Mouton Rothschild that we talked about before, they're on the left bank. So Cab Sauve dominates there. If you decide to go to the left bank, your first stop should be the little town of Margot. Um, there's not much there, but they do have an excellent Maison du Vin. And this is the place that has all the maps and information about the chateaus on the peninsula. Plus, they can help you find out what chateaus are open for tastings. The main town on the left bank is Podensac. There's lots of chateaus here, but Podensac is also the home of something called Lillette. It's an aperitif that was made famous in the James Bond movie Casino Royale. He orders in it a Lillette Martini. Lillette is made from Bordeaux wine, but then it's aged with citrus liqueurs and quinoa, a wine made from quinine, which was used years ago to treat malaria, of all things. Because of the quinoa in Lillette, the drink was one time promoted as a healthy alternative. The right bank, with its Merlot blends, is also a must-visit. The town of St. Emilion is the main attraction. This town has charm to burn, with tons of chateaus and restaurants having locations right in the town. So you don't necessarily have to leave the town to enjoy right bank wines. And it's an easy day trip from Bordeaux. It's just a half an hour by bus. One of the main attractions is the Clotre des Cordeliers. This was originally a 14th century monastery, but it was abandoned during the French Revolution and left to rot for over a hundred years. Underneath the cloister is two miles of tunnels that house the famous wines, sparkling white and sparkling rosé of the cloister. Tours are available, and the best part is you get a tasting at the end. Brandy Yanchik show is Seeing Canada. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's a great look into the culture of Canada and the indigenous peoples there. But Brandy also visits some great food artisans on the show. And in this conversation, we talk about Canada's ice wines. Okay, so I, I have to tell you this first. Before I go down the ice wine alley, that there are two really big regions uh, for wineries in Canada. And one is in the Niagara region, which is ni near Niagara Falls, where, which is near the United States. Everybody knows, you know, it's near Buffalo. It, it's, like, amazing, okay? But then we also have something in British Columbia known as the Okanagan. And I will talk about that after. But this, they're, like, on two separate ends of Canada, and they have incredible wines. And some of the winemakers have wineries in each of these provinces, and they, it's quite interesting. But the ice wine is something that's very special. I never grew up drinking ice wine because, frankly, we couldn't afford it. It's very expensive. It's very sweet. It's like a dessert wine. And um, now that I'm an adult and I'm supposed to be sophisticated, I have tried ice wine, and it is delicious. 
but you're not going to be drinking like loads and loads of it, okay? You it's it's, it's very high in alcohol and it's 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 something that you'll have like after dinner. Um, and these ice wine grapes are harvested in the winter, and um, it's very it's a very technical way that they grow, and it's um it's very special to the region because of the temperatures there and the specific climate. It, ice wine is not going to grow just anywhere. So what I did is I went to Teller Estate in the show, and they they really push ice wine um, because very popular, okay? And it, it's very popular for tourists because they want to go into this ice wine room that they have, and it's really cool, and you get to wear these red big jackets and, and taste the ice wine. It's a real touristy thing, and I would recommend it. It's, um, you know, it, it's not like what the winemakers go through when they're freezing in the middle of the night collecting these um, grapes, right? <laughs> it's, it's more for the tourists. If you go to Cape Town, South Africa, you've got to talk to Elsha Erasmus of Cape Town Culinary Tours. She is the most knowledgeable person about South African cuisine and, of course, the famous wines of South Africa. For me, you know, the the thing that I know about South Africa is the wine, because in the last, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 15, 20 years, South Africa has become a major, major player when it comes to wine mm-hmm. internationally. Yeah. Is oh, yeah. is wine consumed um by South Africaners? Oh, so we love wine. Um I think we were lucky that the world is only recognizing our wine on such an international scale now because we were allowed or able to drink a whole lot more of our own wines than you guys <laughs> were able to. <laughs> um so now with you know the recognition coming in, we're becoming a lot more competition wise popular in the world of wine. Um but we also have a very big history when it comes to wine. I mean when the Dutch settled here, they basically focused on uh fruit trees and uh vegetable gardens to be set up for the ships to come past to, you know, get minerals and uh what do you call it? vitamins for their journey onwards to India. But then when certain of our governors uh, settled here, they also were very educated in agriculture. Um, Jan van Riebeek and Simon van der Staal uh, passed to governors of ours. One of the, the very first and early governors started our wine industry. Um, and that was, you know, started emerging in the early 17, late 1700s. Um, also Napoleon drank our wine when he was exiled. Um, uh, Jane Austen, while she was writing some of her books, mentions places like Hruet Konsansha, which is here wow. in Cape Town. Um, wow. it's, for example, that very farm is 334 years old this year. So it's, it's extraordinary. We are considered new world wine, but, um, looking at the age of our farms, our estates and our history, um, it is very vast. So we've got, well, it's now, I think it's 810 wine estates that you can visit here in um, South Africa. And they're all completely different. Just looking at location, we've got Franjhoek, we've got Stellenbosch, um, we've got Pol region, you've got Somerset West, you've got Constantia, and the list goes on. Beautiful Swartland, beautiful regions where you can... Um, yeah, try very different wines. We've got anything from your Sauvignon Blanc to your Pinot Noirs. Um, we make a lot of Chenin Blanc for those who are interested in more white wine. Uh, we make a lot of Syrah or Merlot when it comes to our red wines, but our climate's changing. So our wine industry is now seeing a bit of change. 
um, due to a bit of climate change as well. If we were in Cape Town, if we didn't have time to go to all these different wineries, is there a wine mm-hmm. bar where we can sample a variety of different wines from South Africa? Oh, hallelujah, yes. Um, <laughs> I would not survive. Um, there is always incredible people that, uh, for example, is called Open Wine. They're on Wales Street. They're also part of uh, one of our tours. The thing that I really like about them is um, they also cater for the local community. It's very difficult for us since wine has become so popular. The price has also become quite um, not just expensive, but not as accessible to every local's budget. Um, so they do wine per glass, for instance. So if you don't want to buy the whole bottle, you can just do the glass. Um, it, it sounds like a, you know, everyday normal thing, but we're talking about wines that is only sold on boutique wine estates. So you would not be able to get your hands on it because it's not in the bottle store, uh, because more than 50% of all our wines get shipped out anyways. So, you know, catering not just for the international, but also for the local. You get places like um, uh, Froggit and Funkel. They have an epic uh, wine bar, uh, vine, great wine selection. Oh, there's so many. Um, but also, there's no real excuse to go not to go to a wine farm because Khurit Constantia Wine Valley uh, or Constantia Wine Valley is only about a 20 minutes drive from the city center. Oh, wow. Um, so you are very, very close. Yeah. Also, that's why agents don't tell you that kind of stuff because they don't make a lot of money driving you 20 minutes away. <laughs> they would <laughs> rather take you a lot further. Um, but yeah, so yes, definitely. There are so many places. You can do inner city wine tours. Um, we do quite a bit of them for guests where you go to wine farms that has tasting rooms available within the city. So you don't have to go all the way out to Stellenbosch or Franschhoek, um, which makes it a little bit more fun. Okay, there you go. Lots of wines from all over the world. And of course, this is something we could talk about all day. I mean, I didn't even get to touch on the wines of Oregon. The Pinots there are some of my favorites in the entire world, or the port wines of Portugal or Greek wines. I guess we'll have to do another wine episode sometime. Well, uh, that's it for this week's show. Until next week, head on over to DestinationEatDrink.com. My latest blog entry there is about Croatia. That's another wine country we didn't talk about this week. But anyway, my blog post, it's about Croatia and how I incorporated a church I never visited into my novel, Truffle Hunt. It's a pretty entertaining story, I think. So go to DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog for that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and executive podcast chef Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.